Welcome to the Winter Maintenance Podcast, Episode 19, Part 5 of the Talking Operations Webcast on Road Weather Management. I'm Dwayne Collett. On March 14, 2007, the National Transportation Operations Coalition, or the NTOC, sponsored a Talking Operations Web Conference on Road Weather Management. NTOC granted the Winter Maintenance Podcast permission to record and publish the audio portion of the webcast. So you can listen to these presentations on your MP3 player or iPod while you're commuting to or from work. The webcast audio has been divided into five parts, each covering a topic of the webcast. The complete webcast with audio and the presentation slides will be available from the NTOC website. I've put a link to the NTOC website in the episode notes. This episode contains a question and answer session that followed the presentations. Before I get into the questions, I wanted to mention a couple of other things. Uh, We have a, uh, a national symposium on surface transportation weather that is currently being planned for the week of June 17th in, or June 19th here in the Washington, D.C. area. So uh, look for more information on that if you want to talk about uh, all of these things at, at that time. Also, um, we're currently in the process of planning for our next MDSS and Claris uh, stakeholder meetings, which we, we had, last one we held was back-to-back here in Washington last fall uh, or late summer. We intended to combine them again, have them be held the two together, uh, targeting the week of September 17th, somewhere in the Midwest, we're thinking maybe Chicago or Kansas City. Uh, And in in the past, we intend to uh, cover travel expenses for one person per state DOT. And uh, if you are already on my MDSS and and Clara's contact list, you'll get notification about that. If you'd like to be added to either of those lists, just let me know and I will include you when we make that decision and, and uh, send out the information on the uh, on those meetings. Okay, let's get into the questions. Uh, moving to the top of the list, John Lasley asked, please, ex- oops, let me go back to the, please expand on the objective of the, of identifying performance measures for road weather management uh, with NOAA. There, uh, there's, um, both Federal Highway and NOAA have as uh, strategic goals, improving mobility and safety with regards to transportation, uh, NOAA being under the Department of Commerce certainly cares about how traffic moves and commerce gets to where it's supposed to go, and certainly Federal Highway does too. Uh, we are looking at identifying uh, the, what are the, the best measures when it comes to weather uh, and road weather management. Uh, it's... Um, both on, from the output and outcome perspective. I mean, obviously, we'd, we'd like to be able to show that we are saving lives, but recognize as well that it is a very difficult challenge to link a crash that didn't happen to providing better road weather information. So we're looking at what might be appropriate outputs uh, that help to provide more timely and accurate information within the expectation that that would uh, could be traced to a, to uh, reduction in crashes. Uh, we have a project going on right now with Battelle to uh, better define those outputs and outcomes, and uh, Romer is managing that project and uh, just 
Senator Romer, if you have anything else you want to add to that. Uh, yeah. Um, basically, what we're trying to, uh, um, the goals of the, of the uh, project that we have under contract with Battelle is to identify uh, performance measures that we can use to evaluate and gauge the, the success of our uh, road weather management uh, products and initiatives. So um, uh, under the uh, Section 5308 uh, of the uh, uh, safety loop, we are uh, required to um, provide some measures of success for uh, the products that we uh, develop and uh, deploy as part of that program. So we, we are um, looking at uh, some of the uh, uh, measures that have, are being used elsewhere. Maybe uh, we can adopt some of those measures uh, if they are applicable to our program. Thank you. Okay, uh, let's see. We had another question from David Marlin Lamoureux. Uh, please discuss utilizing transit vehicles as local weather probes and if they should be interconnected to traffic operations. And there's a couple of other comments about this, but uh, a couple of there's, there's two two things that are work that are happening in this area. Uh, certainly, we look at the vehicle as a source of weather and road condition data as, as, as a critical element to road weather management. We know we can't uh, afford to put a fixed sensor on every mile of roadway, so we know we need to look at vehicles as sources of data. Um, one activity that where we're pursuing this is in the Vehicle Infrastructure Integration Initiative, one of the other initiatives within the ITS program, uh, which is building a communications network to pull data using dedicated short-range communications, pulling data from vehicles, uh, and we are going to work, um, we are working with the VII community to see what uh, data can be, what road weather data can be obtained through VII. But at the same time, we recognize that um, a lot of public agencies are, are outfitting their vehicles with uh, sensors and using other uh, communication mechanisms to transmit data. Uh, we haven't done anything specifically with the transit community, but have done something with um, the state DOTs on the maintenance side. Uh, Minnesota DOT as uh, is one state that also has GPS and AVL and other sensors that they're putting on their plows, that data goes to a server in the, uh, at the, in the state. And as part of the Claris proof of concept uh, activity, we showed that we could pull that data from the Minnesota server as well. So uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, um, the accessibility of the data at the, at the source. So we certainly could, could utilize transit data and as a feed into these systems if that data are, are, are made available on a, uh, uh, through a server and such. Um, and that, that actually, that leads to another question farther down the road. But let's see. Um, and Michelle asked, how will you get the information from a probe vehicle to the weather center? I, I think I just answered that question, that we would, we would look at it as one of two ways. One is through the VII network, or another is through uh, if um, state or public agencies uh, post that data on a server that can be accessed through the Claro system, it could then be brought in that way. Uh, let's see. Next question. Okay, and Jocelyn made the point about that all of this is going to be available on the website. Okay, Mark, is it possible to get access to the benefit 
study from UDOT, and I saw that, that Ed Bosley answered that question farther down. Thank you, Ed, for answering that. And yes, that, uh, that report is available. Mike asks, why does it seem that all federally funded ROWS activities are occurring in the western states, winter weather management? What about Florida and other southeastern states as a base to evaluate mobility impacts on reduced visibility? Uh, Mike, we would love to get more engaged with the southeastern states. Uh, we know that the states that in the southeast are making investments in ROWS uh, and are utilizing some of these, uh, these systems for better practices. In fact, on our best practices website, we have a number of case studies from the southeast. Uh, the, in terms of um, the, where we've gone or where we've been and where we're going, uh, yes, we started with winter maintenance because that was where uh, we, we had a very, um, I would say, mature community in terms of using, using roadway information, and, and it, was a, it was a place to build upon, but we certainly don't consider ourselves to be limited to winter weather, and I think that also came out in our discussions about uh, MODs and expanding um, MDSS to other types of uh, decision support. Uh, we know that um, the iFlorida project has a weather element to it and, and look to learn from that, So that, and there's funding going towards that, uh, but any opportunity to get more engaged with the Southeast would be, uh, would be appreciated, and, and would, you know, the opportunities would be through things like the uh, Claris regional demonstrations and such. Um, let's see, then Ed answers the other question. David, another question. Um, all of the, okay, I think this is getting back to the point about transit. Yeah, and I think, okay, I think I've addressed that point. Could you comment on types of QC that are performed? Are these QC regional tests? For, um, for this, I'm going to defer to Ralph to speak about the uh, QC that they do within UDOT, and then I can speak a little bit about Clara. Ralph? Uh, yeah, Paul, ours are, are, are pretty basic. Um, you know, we do a climate, uh, what we expect the climate uh, norms to be in that particular location. Uh, we, we do one that's persistence, meaning that if we have the same reading over a period of time, that's always a red flag, uh, you know, especially 24-hour period. Uh, and then we have a sensor range that we use. Um, you know, if we're getting something, a relative humidity of 110%, we know that we have, that's not correct. So um, those are the three basic ones that we use. There are some more complicated ones that you can use, uh, but they don't seem to work in our complex terrain as well. Right. And uh, when, we, when we did the, uh, the, the concept of operations and the system design for Claros, we identified, if I remember correctly, uh, 14 different quality checks that we wanted the system to perform. We ended up coding up, I think, eight of those, and uh, all of those are documented in the Claris uh, system design documentation, which can be found on the clarisinitiative.org website. Uh, it includes a lot of the same types of things that Ralph was just talking about, some persistence tests and general test, uh, checks at the sensors themselves, some uh, and the nearest neighbor type approach, which I think is part of what uh, Ralph was leading to on some of the challenges in complex terrain, but uh, build, building upon a lot of the, uh, the quality checking that has been done uh, with other um, atmospheric uh, and road weather data. Uh, we also have a, um, we also have a, uh, a project planned to build out the quality checking algorithms contained within Claris through, um, based on a task force that we had uh, through the Claris Initiative Coordinating Committee, 
And uh, so we'll, we you should be seeing more of that uh, developed over the next year or so. Uh, John Lasley asked, Pat, what factors led Denver City County to use the NCAR prototype MDSS rather than the pooled fund MDSS used by Colorado DOT, which, is, uh, which has been developed and deployed by Meridian Environmental Technology? So, uh, Pat, I'll defer to you on that question. Okay. Uh, certainly no slight against Meridian or anything like that. Um, after we had uh, been in contact with uh, NCAR, UCAR, uh, we had the ability to test drive the MDS system in a winter prior to uh, our uh, entering into contract with them. Uh, we liked the way the system worked, uh, the user interface, the data that we got out of it. Um, uh, it it's just something that fit our needs. Uh, and so we went through a sole source uh, contracting process to the city, which city attorneys don't like, but uh, certainly fit our needs. And, you know, and other factors is uh, uh, NCAR is local. It's, you know, Boulder is just a half-hour drive up the road, so it's the, the staff availability is there. It's easy to work with them. And, you know, other intangibles, just working with the staff, and, again, no slight of Meridian. I don't know any of the people who work there, is, uh, but the staff at NCAR is really well, easy to work with, and, uh, you know, we felt that... Uh, there's is a system that works for us, and, and all the other pieces fell into place. Great. Thanks, Pat. Albert Mathis asked uh, about the mobility index, which I believe Bill Mahoney answered. Uh, yes, so I'll be, at, be below that, so I won't go into that one. Uh, but would like to just mention that Albert is working with um, Austria to develop and deploy MDSS there, which we're really excited to see and uh, want to keep up with that deployment as well. Uh, Lee Smithson asked, uh, Pat Kennedy commented that their forecasts were, quote, extremely accurate. How accurate were they, and what did they measure to conclude extremely accurate? Again, Pat, I, uh, can you answer that question? Yeah, for us, you know, over the course of the winter, and I don't know the exact count of the number of events that we've had, uh, for us, uh, critical components are the start time and what affects the event you know, what, what will transpire dur during the course of an event. Uh, with the exception, I think, of only one or two events, uh, their predictions of start times were within an hour or two, which was, uh, and that is, is uh, well within our criteria of when we want to deploy our crews, so it was accurate. Now, we're getting our crews out at the right time. And then looking at their predictive data, whether it's weather or the road conditions over the course of the event, uh, things like if there was going to be a pulse of moisture coming through or uh, uh, a little hole in the storm or what the winds would do and how that would affect drifting. All these criteria, if they said the winds were going to shift at a certain time, they were shifting it, it around that time. So during the course of the event, when we look at what they would predict, that's what was happening during the course of the storm. So we're, we, we're really comfortable with the data they're providing us is their crystal ball works really good. So that, that's where we're getting into that extremely accurate. Okay, thank you. Um, wanting to move on quickly since there's a lot of other questions and we're running out of time. Uh, Dave Hodges asked, are these weather data systems being developed in conformance with NTCIP requirements? Uh, NTCIP, there is uh, one standard in particular, 1204, which uh, is the data object definitions from the roadside to a center. Uh, for road weather information systems and environmental sensor stations. 
And uh, clearly it's going to be dependent upon the states who deploy those of whether or not they're using NTCIP. And my understanding is as states have been, been deploying new systems, they are using uh, the NTCIP standard. Uh, the Claris gets data from the servers at the state DOTs. Claris does not get data directly from the sensors. So when so we access a server, it's going to then be server-to-server -server communication. Uh, we have defined the data elements uh, as extensions of the roadside-to-center standard. So we utilize within the Claris system design the NTCIP standard, um, although it's not officially, I guess, part of the, um, the NTCIP suite. But we use, still utilize that same data structure. Uh, so, um, I guess the answer to that is yes, in part. Uh, Bob Pento, for the TMC in weather integration project, what would characterize a high level of institutional integration? And I'm going to defer to Romer to answer that question. Um, a high level of um, institutional integration is characterized by a high um, level of support from the um, um, uh, agency, within the agency, for using uh, weather information for make, to make uh, traffic management decisions. Basically, that's what it's all about. Also, um, we characterize the high uh, level of institutional integration if there is a lot of coordination among the, um, um, the, um, um, the different units within the, the agency, between the TMC and, and the weather data uh, providers and the users as well as the availability of uh, uh, training um, uh, within the, uh, the agency on, the, on how to use the, uh, the weather for making um, TMC uh, operations decisions. Okay. Uh, Bill Mahoney asked, uh, what traffic models are being used? Do they model individual driver behavior, or are they the models macro scale? And um, uh, I'll defer to remember that they're not they're not micro. No, they, they are um, they are macroscopic uh, models. They look at overall um, uh, traffic uh, flow parameters or or, or um, general traffic flow parameters such as speed and um, um, capacity uh, density. We are we are what we're doing is in the next phase of this study is to look at a more microscopic level um, uh, response to uh, weather events. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, okay, and then another question. When combining the weather and traffic modeling systems, have you been able to find useful goal-seeking that is genetic algorithms? And I'm going to no, we, I don't think we, uh, we use any of those um, uh, uh, algorithms for, for this study. Not, no, not yet, but I think that the whole prospect of, of coupling weather and traffic models is something that we do plan on pursuing in more detail. Yeah. So, um, Bob asked, has there been any successful examples of privatized ROIS and weather supply data? Um, we, haven't been done, we haven't not done any specific studies ourselves at the federal level to see, although I know that uh, some states have, have tried this. I, I would not, I'd feel uncomfortable saying um, Anything more about them, though, at that at this time? Um, although I guess Ralph, if you, uh, if you have any sense from the uh, state DOT perspective on this, um, if you have any any comments? I'd be happy to hear those. Well, it, it seems like the the states that have uh, a larger uh, let's call it weather salience seem to do their own um, ROWA sites, but. Uh, 
you know, there are some success stories from some states who uh, don't have the resources uh, to do that, to have the private sector go ahead and manage uh, not only the stations, but the data as well. Do you have any references offhand on that, Ralph? Have I talked to that? Uh, you know, I, I, I know there's a uh, one of the uh, southwest states. I can't remember which one it is. Um, uh, I, I'm assuming it was Arizona, but um, I'm not sure. Daryl may be out there, uh, but uh, I think that's who is doing that right now. I know Daryl had had registered, but he had to uh, was unable to attend today, so he's not online right now. But uh, uh, that's something we, we may have some references in the uh, resource identification tool. I, I don't know off the top of my head, uh, but that's something that we could you could look to see if there's anything in there. Uh, let's see. Um, Robert Brackman, is there work to use rainfall and rainfall intensity data to predict and or warn of flooding? Uh, yes, and there's, there's a couple of examples. And again, if you go to our best practices, uh, the, the Federal Highway Road Weather Management website is uh, www.fhwa.dot.gov slash slash weather. Uh, and then click on best practices. You'll see uh, some some examples of. Um, flood, warning flood warning systems, uh, particularly Texas, I know, has done a lot of good work in this area. Uh, Mark, where is the WRM weather integration baseline conditions Lynette report? I'm sorry? Lynette answered it. Uh, Lynette answered that? Okay, yes. Thank you, Lynette. Okay. Um, let's see. Chris, uh, okay, and Chris has further information uh, in response to Bob. On the definition of institutional integration. So I will. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. More elaborate. Chris, Chris is at, at Patel, and he was the uh, PI for that project. John Gaynor, to expand on Robert Brackman's question, in Houston we found there are stream friction models are very little on localized flooding, like on frontage road drains and depressed roadways. Is there a model that integrates the two? Um, I have not seen anything that, that specifically exists down to that level. Um, that's not to say it doesn't exist, but um, uh, I, I think a lot of the flood monitoring systems are more on mo measuring current conditions and not sure how much they actually do in terms of modeling uh, to predict when flooding will occur. It's more of that it's, a, that it's happening or about to happen. Has there been any study of linking road weather systems with existing groundhog slash traffic type systems to gather data? Can this be done effectively? Uh, I thought that, um, and I, I think there's people on, from Pennsylvania online, I thought PennDOT had done some uh, studies on this off, off the top of my head, but um, otherwise I'm not, nothing else is immediately coming to mind on that. Uh, I know that there's been, um, some sensors out there that, that, that do multiple um, functions, like collecting road weather data as well as traffic data, uh, but we have not done any specific evaluation of any of those yeah, products. Yeah. Yeah. There may be some systems out. There may be some systems out there that use um, cameras to um, gather visibility information. Right. Well, and yeah. And the cameras are also used for traffic monitoring. Right. And then Mark asked, are there examples where MDSS is being operated as an internal application? In most of the cases mentioned, users are employing a service provider, outsourced type business model. Uh, the 
MDSS deployment or the development strategy was to develop core software capabilities that would then be made available to anyone, whether you're a public agency or a private sector. Uh, it was not shrink-wrapped, you know, plug-and-play software, but, but it was the core um, modules and core uh, capabilities. Most states, uh, I know some states have, have, have uh, uh, downloaded the software and have looked at it. Um, I think that the, uh, what it takes to actually run it are, is, is considered to be more than what a state would want to do on its own, so the, they find that the um, more attractive approach is to outsource that work. Um, so that's, that's um, fits more of um, how we, that's how we've seen it deployed, but that's certainly not, not to say that it couldn't be done in-house. It's just that, that uh, the states who have used it have felt that it was better off to, uh, to outsource. Uh, Mark, then the province of Alberta, has there been any successful examples of privatized hardware? Uh, province of Alberta has. Okay, yes. Um, okay, so that's something that, that would be worth looking for if we have not actually captured that one. Um, and maybe I'll ask Lynette really quickly. Do you know offhand, Lynette, if we have captured that? Any uh, studies of the... Um, Oh, phone's not open. Okay. Well, she could type it in response on the on the line. Um, if if uh, if could type it in, whether or not we have any reports from Alberta on that, or Mark, are you aware of any reports from Alberta on that? Um, John Gaynor, could we be selected for a study at Houston? Um, we don't have any um, RFPs out on the street to do a uh, um, anything in Houston right now, or any any flood work yet, but. Um, certainly wouldn't uh, put that out of the realm of possibility. Okay, and thank you, Lynette, for answering. We do not have any Alberta reports. Okay, but maybe Mark is aware of any of some. Um, and it looks like that's it. We're only six minutes. Okay, Mark's not aware of any specific reports either, but uh, maybe there's people in Alberta you could contact on that. Um, again, I want to thank our speakers for their time and as well all of you uh, who are still online for your time and participating in this web conference. I hope you found it useful. Uh, and again, feel free to contact me or um, any of the speakers if you have any other questions. And then to, for closing, I'll turn it back over to Jocelyn. Right. Hi. As, as I see, the attrition rate for our attendees is, is growing by the minute. I'll make this very quick. Um, just on the slide here, we have a list of the INTOC members, the National Transportation Operations Coalition members. That's the, the group that actually is, um, is running the talking operations seminars. And then we have the Intalk Talks website um, where we have um, a list of upcoming webcasts where you, where you can click on links to register for those um, and discussion forums that you can participate in. Um, we also have an extensive set of resources such as the Intalk newsletter and some shared calendars that you can access. All right. Well, thank you very much for your participation and have a good rest of your day. Again, our thanks to the National Transportation Operations Coalition for their permission to bring this webcast to you. If you would like to contact the speakers and don't have their email addresses, use the Contact Me button or leave me a message at 206-309-0845 and I will forward your message to them. Thanks for listening and so long for now.